Thank you for being here this morning. We are going to jump right into the message, and we are going to be in John chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to primarily concentrate on verses 1 through 18. It's going to be a very familiar story to many of you this morning. We're going to be talking about the time when the invalid encounters Jesus. Again, John 5, verses 1 through 18. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it and read along with us. If you don't, it's going to be right on the screen, and you can follow along there. But any, at any rate, I'm going to be reading the entire text this morning at the beginning. So if you are physically able to stand with us this morning, I'd like to invite you one more time to stand back up as we honor the reading of God's Word. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 6, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You may be seated. Now, as we begin to drill in and go a little bit deeper in these verses this morning, I want us to start with to look at verses 1 through 3. And we see that the very first two words of this passage is after this. So anytime that we see something similar to this, we need to, we need to investigate and see after what? What's it talking about? So if, if you're familiar with John chapter 4, what this is actually talking about is the miracle that Jesus performed in Cana, Galilee, when he healed the official's son. That's two miracles that we know about that Jesus performed right there in Cana in Galilee. But see, there was an official whose son was sick. And he thought that Jesus was the only person that could help him. So he walked. We believe he walked. At, at best, maybe he rode an animal. But he traveled 20 to 25 miles in that day to get to Jesus. I wonder this morning, how far would we travel? How far would we travel to get to Jesus? Would it make a difference if it was our child that was sick? So this man goes to Jesus, this 20 to 25 miles, 
And when he has an encounter with Jesus, Jesus simply tells him, go and your son will live. Well, now, he knows that his child is sick. You know, we are a very, very visual society. We want to see it with our eyes before we will believe it. Now, I want to ask you a question, parents that are in the room right now. How tempting would it have been to have looked there at Jesus and said, Oh, no, you come with me. I believe that you could heal him without touching him, but I'd really rather you come with me. That way, if it doesn't work, I won't have to come back 20 to 25 miles so I can be inconvenienced. You know, I believe that man knew that what Jesus said was true. I believe that he knew that his son was going to be healed. I wonder this morning, if we always require proof of something that we can see with our eyes before we believe, Where exactly does faith fit into the equation? Where does faith fit into the equation? But this man did exactly what Jesus told him to do. And guess what? His son was indeed healed. So now as we jump into our text today, we see that Jesus has moved on from Canaan, Galilee, and he went up to Jerusalem. It appears primarily for this feast of the Jews. Now, we don't know exactly what was involved with this particular feast, which feast it's referring to, but one thing we do know, that whatever it was, it was important enough for Jesus to leave Cana and Galilee and travel back towards Jerusalem. And then we see in verse 2, that there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now, if you are looking at verse 2, and you know, many of you have heard me say this before, that I believe that the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant Word of God. I believe that every word is true. I believe that every word is there for a distinct purpose. Now, if you are like me and you believe that, as soon as you read verse 2, you need to be asking yourself at least three questions. And these questions are, what's the significance of this sheep gate? What does that mean? Why is it important to us today? Is it important to us today? Number two, what is the significance of these five roofed colonnades? What is a colonnade even? Number three, what is the significance of this pool of Bethesda? Now, to start with with number one, the significance of the sheep gate. Now, if you are taking notes this morning, and I hope you are, jot down Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, and you can look that up after you get home, and you'll find out more information about the sheep gate. But what I want you to know this morning for this sermon is that the sheep gate was at the northeast corner of the city. And guess what? Sacrificial animals were brought through it. Does it strike anybody odd that Jesus Christ, who would be our ultimate sacrifice, 
It's standing there this close to the sheep gate. Could it possibly be Jesus giving us a clue? Oh, there one day I am going to become that ultimate sacrifice where you will not have to sacrifice all of these animals anymore. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus just happens to be this close to the sheep gate. I think he was there on purpose. So number two, what is the the significance of these five-roofed colonnades? Maybe you're wondering, what is a colonnade? Well, a colonnade is very similar to what we would think of as a porch. It had a roof on it. These sick people that we're going to talk about in just a minute, they stayed there a lot of times. It gave them some protection from the wind and the rain. And then the significance of the pool of Bethesda. Just to put it clearly, people in that day and time thought that the water in this pool of Bethesda had healing qualities or healing characteristics. That's why so many of these invalids were there so close to it. They wanted to get into it at the proper time. Now, if we're not extremely careful, we can find ourselves thinking something like this. How could anybody ever fall for that? How could anybody ever think that the water in a pool would heal you? You know, we don't have to look very far to see that today. People travel all across the country to get in certain pools of water because they believe even today that certain water has healing characteristics. So times have not changed an awful lot in these years. Now, if you place yourself in the proper context... Of this scripture, the the scripture tells us that in these colonnades lay a multitude of invalids. Some were blind, some were lame, and some were paralyzed. Now today, if we found ourselves having any of these three situations, we would probably go to a specialist. And we would think nothing about it. But guess what? These people didn't have that luxury. They believed falsely, of course, that their only hope of healing was in this water. In this water. And we're going to see here in just a minute that Jesus is going to have an encounter with a man who had been sick for 38 years. And one thing I want to be sure that you don't miss as we get into this, is that Jesus, especially documented in the book of John, He wants a personal encounter with you. When we look in chapter 4, we've talked for years about Jesus having the encounter with the woman at the well. It wasn't an accident that Jesus just happened to go through that little place called Sychar and He encountered the woman that we are still talking about today. It wasn't an accident. It was not an accident that she had arranged her schedule where she could go to that well when she didn't think she was going to be seen by many people, where she didn't think she would have to talk to anybody. But she gets there and has an encounter with a Jewish man named Jesus who talks to her, which was absolutely unheard of in that society. 
He wanted that personal encounter with her. He wanted a personal relationship with her. And guess what? He wants a personal relationship with you this morning. I wonder, do you have it? Are you sure you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because you see, once that woman at the well encountered Jesus, her life was changed. And it was no problem for anybody who looked at her to know it. The Scripture tells us that people believed simply because of her testimony. I wonder, who's believing in Jesus Christ because of my testimony? Who is believing in Jesus Christ because of your testimony? Do we realize that people are watching us? People are watching us. Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. Now, verse 5 tells us that one man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Folks, this is a long, long time. There's a good number of people here that's in this sanctuary this morning that is not 38 years old. This man had been an invalid for longer than you have been in this world. And for the ones of you who are older than 38, you know that 38 years is a long time for anything. But this man had been an invalid for 38 years. And then in verse 6, when Jesus sees him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, I want to concentrate on that for just a minute. The fact that Jesus knew how long that man had been there. You see, so many times we live our lives today as if Jesus doesn't know. We live our lives in such a way that we believe we can handle our own problems. And then when it gets out of hand and we finally do take them to Jesus, we approach Jesus as if we've got to explain the situation to him, as if he doesn't already know. Let me tell you something. Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows where you are. He knows where you've been. He knows that you need him. He knows that. I wonder, do you know that today? Do you know that today? You know, we talk so much about we want to see revival. We want to see people saved. How much do we want it? Do we want it enough to truly let Jesus have control? Do we? Do we want it that bad? But Jesus knew that this man had been there a long time. And then he asked him this question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, if we're just reading this at face value, you're probably thinking, of course he wants to be healed. Why would he not want to be healed? He's been sick for 38 years. Why would he not want to be healed? Maybe we need to ask ourselves the same question. You know, so many times we seem to have the ability just to adjust to our surroundings, to adjust to our circumstances. And before long, it's just like it's always been that way. That's what normal supposed to be with for us, is it? Or are we supposed to let Jesus do something about it? Do we want Jesus to take us out of the situation that we're dealing with? And then we see... In verse 7, something that we still see so many times today. When this man starts to respond to Jesus, what's he do? He tries to shift 
the blame to other people. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down in front of me. So I wonder, how, do, how, how does that represent us today? You know, so many times, if we can shift some of the responsibility when we're in a situation that we don't want to be in, it seems to help, doesn't it? Well, I didn't know. Nobody told me. That's the first I've ever heard of that. It was their fault. They should have known better. It just somehow makes us feel better if we can put that responsibility on somebody else. But, you know, I want you to know this morning, we shouldn't do that. We need to take responsibility ourselves. And, you know, I don't know exactly what the condition was of this man. You know, we talked about those three characteristics of the people that were there, that were called invalids. But I'm going to tell you, based on verse 7, I do not believe that this man was totally paralyzed. I don't believe that he was totally paralyzed. Because this verse indicates, while I'm going... Another steps down before me. I believe this man had at least some ability to move his body. Now, maybe he couldn't move it quickly, but I believe he could move his body. And then, look at this, another steps down before me. I don't believe this man was blind. One of the other characteristics of the invalids. If he were blind, how would he know that somebody else is stepping down before him. You know, if, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of this individual, and I had been an invalid for 38 years, and I thought that the only hope of me being healed was to get in this water, I believe I would have drugged myself from that colonnade no matter how long it had taken me to do it and would have camped out on the, on the bank of that pool and rolled myself in at the proper time if I thought that was the only way that I was going to be healed and if I had any capability to do it, which I believe this man did. And so we see Jesus ask him the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? I don't think that Jesus asked him an off-the-wall question. Remember, Jesus sees all. He knows all. I believe he asked him deliberately, Hey, are you sure you want to be healed? You've dealt with this for 38 years and you've laid here on this porch. So Jesus says to him in verse 8, Get up, take up your bed and walk. Get up, take up your bed and walk. You see, prior to this encounter with Jesus, the invalid was confused. He thought that what he needed was the water that was in that pool. He didn't need that water. He needed Jesus, just like you do this morning, just like I do. We need Jesus, not other things. So Jesus tells him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. 
At once this man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And then we see this really important sentence. Just six very simple words. But they carry a lot of weight. Now that day was the Sabbath. That day was the Sabbath. Just to put it very simply this morning, there were some people during the earthly ministry of Jesus that were strong opponents of Jesus. Sometimes we see them referred to in the Scripture as Pharisees. Sometimes we see them referred to as Jews. But just to put this bluntly this morning, these people, they saw themselves as being the keepers of the law or the enforcers of the law, even though many of those laws or rules were man-made. But again, these people would have preferred not to have seen this man healed at all if it was going to occur on the Sabbath. Now think about that. What if, what if it were you that were being healed? What if it was your child, your spouse that was being healed? Wouldn't you be thankful for whatever the day was? These people would have preferred that the healing not take place at all instead of it happening on the Sabbath day. They saw themselves as the keepers of the law, the keepers of the law, no matter what. And then we see the Jews, they actually confront this man that has just been healed, and they tell him it's the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for him to take up his bed. Now just think about that. This man has been sick for 38 years. Can you imagine how joyful that he must have been to have just been healed? And now this is the equivalent of somebody taking cold water and dashing it on him because it just happened to be the Sabbath. Now, could Jesus have healed this man a day earlier? Of course He could. Could He have healed this man a day later? Of course He could. But He didn't. Keep in mind, Jesus was a Jewish man. He knew the Jewish law. And I think He deliberately chose this particular day because He was trying to tell these people, I am more important than your man-made laws. I am more important than your man-made laws. And I want to tell you again, I know sometimes we struggle with why some people are healed and why other people aren't. And you know, we can look at this particular account and we can apply that exact same logic. I have no idea why Jesus chose that man instead of all of the other people that were there. No idea. I have absolutely no idea why He chose Him on that day. But what I do know is that He chose Him on that day on purpose. Jesus does not make a mistake. He does not make a mistake. In verse 11, we see this man, he confronts them. But He answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Take up your bed and walk. 
Now, I'm going to ask you just a really blunt question this morning. I want you to hear me loudly and clearly this morning. If that had been me that had just been healed, if that had been you that had just been healed, and you've been confronted by these Jews that have just made the statement to you, it's not lawful. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk on the Sabbath. How many of us would have laid right back down on that bed? Really? How how many of us would have laid right back down on that bed simply because somebody told us to? On this side, we've got the King of kings and the Lord of lords telling us to take up your bed and walk. And on this side... We've got men who are telling us it's not lawful. It's not lawful. This is this has occurred on the Sabbath. Don't do it. How many of us would have laid back down in our bed because somebody told us to? Folks, we have got to seek the Lord. We've got to know what His voice sounds like. We have got to hear Him, and we have got to do what He says. And then we see in verse 13, that this man didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't know it was Jesus that had healed him. But make no mistake about it, he knew he'd been healed. He knew that he had been healed. As we quickly wrap up this morning, I want to go to one place and point this out to you in verse 14. Maybe you had never thought about this before. I know I had not spent a lot of time thinking about this before, but prior to this man's healing, I'm not sure that he would have even been welcomed in the temple. He could have easily been looked at as being unclean. Unclean people were not welcomed in the temple. But even if for some reason he was welcome in the temple, it wouldn't have been easy for him to get there and he would have probably encountered scorn from people. What's that person doing here on a bed? They look different than us. Why why are they here? Why are they here in this place? And you know, I wonder sometimes, do we, not intentionally but unintentionally, do we ever treat people like that? Why are they here? They, they look different than us. They act different than us. Maybe they smell different than us. But we say we want them here. What, what are we doing to welcome people inside the church? But this man, it was important for him to go to the temple. And I don't believe he wasted any time at all about getting there. He went to the temple I wonder, as we close this morning, I want to ask us the question, how important is it for us to come here? Now, I realize you can worship Jesus anywhere. Before people start texting me, especially if you're hearing me on the radio this morning, before you start calling the church office and say, I can worship Jesus anywhere. Yes, I know you can. I know you can. But I also know that God's Word tells us that it's important for us to meet together. 
I know that as well. And I wonder so many times in our busy schedules, in our busy lives, where we truly have not, not just every day of the week planned, but pretty much every second of our day planned for each day of the week. Where, where does Jesus fit into that? Really, where does Jesus fit into that? Have we made him a priority? Have we truly made Jesus a priority in our lives, in our schedules? If we haven't, we need to. Folks, I'm going to tell you, revival is not going to come until we do. It's not. We can say we want revival, but until we allow ourselves to be changed, I don't think we're going to see it. I don't. I think we have got to let Jesus have full control of our lives. And then I think that's when we will see him send revival. And sometimes I think we get really confused on why we come to church. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, he makes this statement, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but instead sinners to repentance. I wonder this morning, is he calling you? Is he calling you this morning? You know, we need to realize we are not inside the church walls. We are not perfect people who have it together. We are so, so far away from that. But aren't you thankful That Jesus came for us. He came for us. He came for all the sick people who are inside church, whether that's physically sick or spiritually sick. He came for us. And I suppose the bigger question is, what are we going to let Him do in our lives? Will we let Him have full control? I believe there's people here this morning that do not know Jesus as your personal Savior. Today would be the day that you need to accept Him as your Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. That's what God's Word says to us. And you know, I think there are other people here this morning that need to make the commitment, hey, Jesus has not been first place in my life. Maybe I had been pretending that he is, or maybe I hadn't even been pretending that he was. But maybe he's knocking on your heart's door this morning, and you know that you need to allow him, starting right now, to be the Lord, the Savior, and the Master of your life. Today's the day to do that. Don't walk out of here and think, I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. You may not have tomorrow. There's a lot of... I don't know if any of you have heard the obituaries the last two weeks. But there have been many, many right here in our community. It could be you today. It could be you today. Don't take for granted that you've got tomorrow. Well, I want you to... as, As we close today, I want you to keep this one thought in mind. No matter what your need is, I can promise you that Jesus is not only enough... He is more than enough. He is more than you will ever need. And He is all that you'll ever need. Would you pray with me, please? 
Father, thank you for this day. Lord, your word tells us that this is the day that you have made and that we should rejoice and that we should be glad in it. Father, I pray that's exactly what we'll do today and every day. Lord, right now I pray that you will just uh, move throughout this sanctuary. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that truly does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you will knock so loudly on their heart's door that they will have no choice but to come and cry out, what must I do to be saved? Father, I pray that that you will knock on heart's doors of people that need a closer walk with you, just like that song we sing. Lord, I pray that, that they will truly desire a closer walk with you. Lord, I pray that they will make that commitment today. And Lord, I believe that there's some people here that truly need to surrender all. And Lord, I pray that that will be so much more than words in a song. Lord, I pray that it will be the desire of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you will do great and mighty things. And I pray that you and you alone will be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.
Jesus told me to get up and walk with my mat, and I had opposition, would I have done what Jesus called me to do? Or would I have done what the world called me to do? Hopefully I'll be able to stand at the gates and say, you know, God, I I worked really hard. I, I tried my best, but even that is not enough. We have to have a proclamation of his mercy being more than any failure that we can bring to him. So this song says simply that, that no matter what our failure is, even if we had laid down when the world told us to, Jesus still loves us enough, and his mercy even in that mistake is more than our mistake. So let's sing this song. could remember no wrongs we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts not their sum thrown into a sea without bottom or shore our sins they are many his mercy is more would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is more of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost we stood neath a debt we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the Lord
wonder this morning, who has a praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Yes, sir. Amen.